you miss finding something and then it comes up in the game and then you win the game by whatever and you realize you know how significant um so all of us offensively within the framework of our offense are, are you know diving into the opponent um you know finding the right balance in week one of not having too much um but good answers and uh yeah there's a little serenity there's some quiet to the evenings where you're watching tape and um and you, you see th certain things, you know, you're always looking for behavior patterns from the opponents. And um, so when you're able to find something and then you see it work in a game, that, that's pretty fulfilling. And uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to get that anywhere else. Yes, that was Sean Payton talking about burning the proverbial midnight oil as he gets back into the element of the NFL that he missed most during his season away. And that is the game planning, the the grinding on film until two in the morning to find that one little hole in the defense that you can exploit. Um, that's where we're at. The, the, the off season, training camp, preseason, whatever we call this time before real football starts, it's over. The Broncos are heading into their final weekend off for players, certainly not so for coaches, but for players, the final weekend off. And come Monday, it's full steam ahead to week one and the home opener against the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm Nick Cosmider. You're listening to Not Another Bucking Podcast. And we thought this would be a great time in this episode since we are about to head into the season to answer your questions. Again, we've loved the feedback that we've gotten about the episode. So we wanted to get you guys involved uh, and send and answer the, any questions that you have about the Broncos. So we'll get right into it. I'll bring on producer Matt, who's going to um, yeah shoot these questions that we got from from all corners um, my way, and then we'll uh, do do the best to, to answer them as we can. So, Matt, who is up first? All right. So the first question we got is from Darren. He wants to know, what was the knock on Taylor Grimes? He was looking forward to seeing him after all the talk. Yeah, and, and some of that talk was here on the pod after the first preseason game against the Cardinals. Um, you know, Grimes had a couple big catches on that should have been game-winning touchdown drive until the defense collapsed late. Shifty slot receiver, you know, a small school guy out of Incarnate Wood. Not a lot of guys blazing an NFL pathway from Incarnate Wood. Um, but he, you know, again, I, I think ultimately that they were deep at wide receiver, deep in the slot position. But it was curious to me that he had that kind of performance in, in, that, in that game on that final drive and really didn't seem to get an uptick in, in playing time. I, I think size worked against him. He just wasn't able to block in the run game, I think, the way that they needed to see from an NFL, you know, caliber guy um, and, and and didn't bring him back to the practice squad either. So clearly the Broncos were ultimately looking for something else at that slot position. They also cut Kendall Hinton, uh, which was a little bit of a surprise, a guy that was, is going into his fourth year, um, you know, at last two years have been a pretty, you know, pretty a, a good reserve role receiver for the Broncos offense. So, um, you know, that they've, they're, they're still going to be kind of, I think, tinkering with this wide receiver position, which I think we'll get to here in just a little bit, but um, yeah, Darren, I, I, it's a it's a great question. We we really didn't see a whole lot of Taylor Grimes in practices or in preseason games after that first game against the Cardinals, and now he's looking for work elsewhere. Yeah, and kind of following up with the with the receiver room, Benny is asking, do you think that Sean Payton skimped on wide receivers because he plans to utilize his running backs to supplement that position, based on Javante Williams lining up wide on his second play from in, coming back from injury? It seems like there'll be they'll be looking for ways to get multiple backs onto the field. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And it, it is, it is fascinating. I wrote about this today at the athletic 
when that final 53, our initial 53 man roster came out on Tuesday, it included three healthy active wide receivers. Now it had four all together, but Jerry Judy is dealing with a hamstring injury. We talked about this in, in the last pod though. He won't go on IR. It's certainly not a, the sure thing that he'll play, you know, in the first week or even the second or third week. So, um, that's an interesting one. They have three wide receivers right now available on this roster. Of course, with NFL rules now the way they are, and really this this form that uh, practice squad elevations took when the pandemic happened in 2020, you can bring players up uh, to uh, to the active roster on game day without then having to expose them to waivers when you send them back down to the practice squad. It's just kind of a simple up and back. You can do that three times with a given player. After that, you would then have to sign them to the active roster in order to play. So the Broncos could go into this week uh, with still just those three healthy active wide receivers, which is Cortland Sutton, Marvin Mims, um, and Brandon Johnson, and then and then pull up, say, that they have four four wide receivers on the practice squad, say, little Jordan Humphrey or uh, Philip Dorsett, the veteran um, who they just signed to the practice squad this week. It is fascinating. But to, to, to Benny's point, this is going to be a team that's not heavily relying on its fourth and fifth wide receivers. Um, they want to be a team that is going to to pound the football to to be sort of a dynamic running offense. Uh, but they also are going to feature running backs heavily in the passing game. We've talked about it on the pod before. A few few coaches, few play callers involve his running backs in the passing game as much as Sean Payton does. Russell Wilson, I think you're starting to see that as his career progresses, using that outlet more frequently. So it's a great observation by Benny. You are going to see multiple backs on the backfield or multiple backs on the field. Um, and you're, it's not going to be uncommon to see some of those guys lined up out wide. Um, it, again, it's a great observation. I, and Greg Dulcich, I think they could very well end up being this team's number two, number two receiver, at least for the first half of the season, given the injury to Jerry Judy. That kind of leads into the next question, which came from Elias. And I think you kind of touched on it there a little bit, uh, talking about Greg Dulcich. But the question is, if Jerry Judy misses two or three weeks, who do you see being Denver's number two receiver behind Cortland Sutton? Yeah, I do think it will be. I think if we're just talking about a, a yardage um, standpoint, I do think it's going to be Greg Dulcich. I, I think the Broncos, my, my, my feeling is that they have kind of, purposely almost slow played his role in, in the preseason. I think they're going to do a lot of things with this guy that they have, that they've really tried intentionally not, not to give too much of a look at in training camp and in the preseason, he's going to be a guy who I think is going to be a really dynamic player for this offense up the seams. Um, they're going to use him in, in a lot of different ways. And, and again, they, they have a, a veteran tight end room behind him guys like Adam Troutman, who I think might be in line for his best season had a really strong training camp. So um, those guys are going to be involved right now. If let's, let's just say that Jerry Judy misses the first three weeks of the season. I would think your, your three leading receivers during that stretch will be uh, Cortland Sutton, Greg Dulcich. And then I'll go with, with Brandon Johnson, the second year receiver who is one of those three guys on the active roster. I thought put together a really nice training camp, had the huge catch, uh, against the Rams, he's a guy that that I I think can play multiple positions along you know along the offense for Sean Payton and um, is really a lot more comfortable here in, in year two in the league. Yeah, I think that if if I were put, if I were a betting man, I think my money might be on Javante Williams kind of picking up the slack there behind Greg Dulcich, and that's actually kind of leads us into Eric's next question, which it's is called a segue. Matt's got these segues. Uh, I'm I am on it, man. So that which weeks. Looking at the schedule, assuming Devontae Williams is healthy, 
Uh, Eric wants to know which weeks you think are like prime Javante Williams production weeks. I'm, I have the feeling this might be a fantasy football related yeah, question hey, we, here. We are fantasy friendly. <laughs> um, yeah, on this right. podcast for sure. So, um, no, that's a it's a great it's a great question. Um, and look, I don't think Javante Williams right now is where he's going to be. Like, it, it's great that he has gotten you know, cleared medically that he is, has already played in a preseason game that he recovered from that. He is going to be involved um, in week one, but offensive coordinator, Joe Lombardi, um, you know, suggested last week that, yeah, Javante Williams is not going to get his full package of, you know, of carries of, of, of targets right away. It, it's just, he, he's continuing to still, I think fully, you know, get his body callous to contact and all those other sorts of things that the mental aspect is still a part of this. So, you know, you, you look at this game against against the Raiders. I, I think that Samaj P. Ryan might end up out carrying Javante Williams in week one. You know, then you, you have a really good Washington defense coming in week two. I would target that that week four game in Chicago on October 1st, where you really start to probably see Javante Williams, assuming to Eric's point that he did, doesn't get nicked up in the meantime, where he starts to maybe really kind of get it rolling for them, which is great. And then that leads into the week five critical game against the Jets where that could really be an early swing point in Denver season. So I, I would say I, if I was, if I had Javante Williams, I would kind of like manage my expectations with him as a fantasy guy um, for probably about the first three weeks of the season. After that, October 1st, that, that now you're right around a calendar year. You're right at a calendar year. He, he tore the, tore the knee on October 2nd of 22. Now you'd be at October 1st. That, that to me is kind of the, the point to look at and say, all right, he should be just about full go now. Yeah, I do think that if you've got him in a PPR league, that that adds a decent amount of value because we know that with how often we know Sean Payton wants to look for uh, getting his running backs involved in the passing game. Well, I mean, he had four targets in his, you know, preseason. Like five you know, snaps. Preseason. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that kind of follows up into Jordan's question as well. Um, he asked specifically about Jaleel McLaughlin and Javante and, uh, Williams, but I'm going to throw some Ajay P. Ryan in here as well and ask, which of the Broncos running backs you think ends up with the, the highest number of receptions this year? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. They are going to use all three of those guys in the passing games in various, various ways. Um, I think their leading receiver will be Jaleel McLaughlin. I, I think they're that high on his capability out of the backfield. Now he's not a supernatural receiver, but, but he, he is a guy that is just kind of, um, you know, a sponge in terms of ter terms of soaking up the coaching, whatever they're asking him to do, whatever coaching points that they're giving him. Um, coaches have been impressed with how quickly he has adapted um, to things here. At, and his his next level speed when he gets out in the open field is a reason that they want to get him the ball in those situations quite a bit this this year. Now, you, you look at a guy like Pierre Thomas, who was an undrafted rookie in Sean Payton's offense in 2007, his second year in New Orleans. And I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think he ended up being about a 400 yard receiver. And that to me would probably be the top end about, about what you're, you're looking for, for the top running back receiver for this offense. Because again, all three of these guys are going to catch passes. All three of these guys are going to be, um, you know, dangerous in that way when this offense really gets going. But, but I am going to, I am going to, I'm going to go ahead and say that it's, it, it's McLaughlin, all things equal, you know, health wise and all that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. He's the kind of guy that you want to get him touches out in space. Um, you know, when he's out and has has some room between him and the defenders, he looks like a dangerous, dangerous guy when it comes to Sunday. So it'll be fun to fun to watch. Uh, wrapping up with the offense um, and kind of moving on, our good segue into the defense as well. Last season, after so much excitement around the Russell Wilson acquisition, there seemed to be a, somewhat of a division between the offense and defense defense what are the attitudes like now you think it's mostly positive or generally generally apprehensive and that's coming from nicole i wonder if nicole could be referring to a warm day in charlotte north carolina when russell wilson comes to the sideline and, and tries to say something encouraging as the defense comes off the field after they've given up a score and mike purcell the veteran nose tackle lets russell wilson hear it um you know more or less says hey like you guys need to pick it up um, you know, that, that kind of thing and, and some saltier, saltier language. And, and typically when these things spill out of players like that on, onto their teammates, they'll say all the right things after the game. Like it's just this competitive heated moment, but there's a foundation that underlies that where this is popping out and you're directing your, the tension in that way, because it's something that is simmering there. And there was, this was a defense last year that for most of the season was top 10 and most, you know, most important measuring sticks, right? And it was an offense that was a league had a league low 16.9 points per game. And that was after they averaged almost 30 their last two games of the year. So this was a team that was barely putting up two touchdowns per game, simply not doing anywhere near enough uh, for the defense that was more than holding up its end of the bargain. And, and part of Nicole's question is that came after all of this attention on Russell Wilson that that players across the roster bought into as this is the guy that we've been waiting for, that it is kind of the missing piece of this puzzle. And, and they were okay with the attention that came on Russell Wilson when he got here last spring that was just way over the top because they just wanted to win. And so when, when all that happened and then the wins weren't coming, I think it, there was a natural tension between the two groups. Whether that has been solved now, we will not know until they actually get on the field. Again, it's the time of year where you say all the right things and all indications are that there there aren't there aren't hard feelings about what happened in 2022. Most of these guys have put it behind them because they know they have a Super Bowl winning head coach. They have they have a staff that that completely knows what it's doing has been here before. And so really that's now where this team on both sides of the ball is putting its trust, right? They they're not depending on Russell Wilson this year. They know that they're not going to they're not going to be led by his arm exclusively right like that they're not hinging their hopes on russell wilson you know being sort of the mvp candidate that he was in 2020 so i think that aspect of it takes a little bit of that pressure off because he's not viewed through through the same lens as he was just 12 months ago and so i guess that is something you would call a silver lining from what happened that being said if he doesn't elevate his game if, if he doesn't take to these changes that sean payton has made and, and really just be kind of that conduit for this offense, um, you know, and, and rely on his veteran leadership, then, then you could have the same problems arise. The bottom line is this team is sick and tired of losing. They've done it since 2016. They have not made the playoffs since they won the Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl 50 at the end of the 2015 season. They've had six losing seasons in a row. Like they're just tired of losing and they don't care how it comes, what it looks like. Um, they, they just want to turn it around. And, and so absent that kind of turnaround, I think you'll continue to see some of the same tension, but winning cures a lot. And if they can get on a roll early, I think you'll see um, 
you know, a, a lot of happier faces in locker rooms. Right. A lot, a lot fewer sideline fights when the teams are teams making the playoffs than right. when they're, they would even talk about when Chris they're eliminated. Right. right. Um, all right. So continuing on kind of talking about the defense a little bit more then um, Jeff had a question. Uh, JL Skinner, rookie line, our rookie safety made the roster or made the initial 53. Presumably he's going to be playing on special teams quite a bit. How much do you think his performance on special teams affects whether or not PJ Locks stays on IR or th- whether that timetable gets accelerated for bringing him back? They seem to kind of take up, he notes that they kind of seem to take up a similar role on the team. Yeah, it's it's interesting. There were five safeties that made the, oh, actually there were six safeties that made the initial 53-man roster, which is a lot. You know, you know right. usually you have four, maybe five. Um, but it was because that they knew PJ Locke was going to be going on IR with an ankle injury he's been dealing with for a couple weeks now. That became official on Thursday. Um, so right now your five are Justin Simmons, Kareem Jackson, Caden Stearns, Delarin Turner-Yale, the second-round player who was a fifth-round pick last year, and then J.L. Skinner, the sixth-round pick out of Boise State. They like him a lot. He would have been a much higher draft pick had he not torn his pectoral muscle uh, right before the combine, and he really started to come on late. So I, I think – I think these things that they can, I understand why they get viewed together. Um, but so much of the time when you have a guy potentially coming back off IR, remember now PJ Locke cannot come back until week five. Um, so much depends on what is occurring at that time. If JL Skinner is playing good ball, he's going to stay on the roster. That doesn't mean they're going to leave PJ Locke on IR if they believe that he could help them. Um, and it doesn't even mean that they'll cut it to their safety. A lot of times, some of these decisions in a way get made for you because other players are getting hurt. You have needs that you're needing to address in other spots. I think PJ Locke, as soon as they can get him back, they will because he he is a veteran of, 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 the, of the special teams core four group. Like he's he's been that guy for the Broncos for the last several seasons. And before he got hurt, he was having a fantastic offseason, a great training camp. Um, and he's a veteran leader that they signed back here for a reason. So I think in the Broncos' best case scenario, Skinner plays great, and and uh, PJ Locke is ready to come back for that Week Five game against the Jets. Yeah, having too many good good defensive backs is a problem that any team would love to have for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. So David's a little less optimistic about the team this year. If the Broncos start zero and four. He's wondering if they should go into full tank mode, presumably joining the Cardinals and the Buccaneers in the race to the bottom for Caleb Williams. Uh, what are your thoughts? Like, if assuming the team starts 0-4, are they looking to tank? Yeah, 0-4 would be an unmitigated disaster. Um, there's no way around that because that would mean you've lost each of your first two home games that are both very winnable uh, on paper. The Raiders, the Commander, the Raiders week one, the Commanders week two. Uh, it also means that you've lost to a uh, a Bears team in Chicago that um, you know had the league's worst record a year ago. Um, so that would not be good. <laughs> that would be that would be an unmitigated disaster. It would be a stunner um, if that is where they are at after four games. Um, do do they go into full tank mode? No, they they wouldn't because this is a, this is an ownership group that was embarrassed by what happened a season ago. Um, by the fact not only that the team was five and twelve, but that they were just this constant source of of negative headlines, negative attention about the way that they were playing, a the way that they were functioning, um, and 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 I just think that if if you have a Sean Payton coach team, if you're zero and four, it's a, a certain number of things have happened. You've either had some significant injuries that that have hurt you. 
in these early games, you have um, you, you've had just a series of close games where the, the bounces haven't gone your your way, um, you know, and and, and you and your you know the offense hasn't gotten up to speed as quickly as they want. But but they they want to go into tank mode for a couple reasons. A, um, they they, ha- they have too many veteran players that they that they have paid over the course of the next couple years. They are not trying to be a, you don't bottom out when you have that many guys that you're paying significantly, um, you know, going forward. The other part of it is they're just they just even at zero and four I don't think would be bad enough. They would not be a bad enough football team, um, even even with that record to, to think that they're going to chase teams like the Cardinals and the Buccaneers to that to that bottom. Um, and, and that's not not why Sean Payton came back. It's not why they're paying him you know something in the neighborhood of twenty million dollars a year. They would they would they would look to Sean Payton and say, hey, fix this. And and that's what the task would be. So no, that th- there's very few circumstances in which I see it the team. And, you know, we can get into tanking being different in the NBA than it is in the NFL. Like, you have to plan to tank in the NFL a lot more. You don't do it by circumstance. Um, the Cardinals are can you, out of it. Yeah, can you imagine them asking Frank Clark to go out there and tank? <laughs> like, the, yeah, that response, like, that's just not going to This team is full of, full of guys who, who, who just aren't going to be interested in doing that. And at 0-4 right. in a 17-game season – you're not yet buried. Now, of course, if, if that's their record after four games, um, you know, the, the odds are abysmal that they would they would turn it around, but it's right. not impossible. I do not think that that's going to be something that Broncos fans <laughs> yeah. have to worry about, but I understand the question because there's been some disastrous stuff going on uh, for this team for the last seven years. Yep. All right, we've got one final question from Alex. Who do you think is the most, or what do you think is the most improved unit from a year ago on this team? That is a that's a great question. To me, I think it's the I think it's going to be the pass rush for this team improved over the second half of last year. So much of that has to do for now with the fact that Randy Gregory is healthy. Now, this is a guy that has to show that and he knows that he has to show that over the course of a season. That has been, you know, his his bugaboo, if you will, that he has just not been able to stay on the field for more than 10, 12 games in a season. Um, and 10, 12 games would be a marked improvement over the six that he played a year ago. Um, but it's also the fact that you've got young guys like Jonathan Cooper and Nick Benito who are still on their rookie contracts who have shown just massive improvement in this training camp, look to be kind of real real players there. And then you have a guy in Frank Clark who, although I don't think he's necessarily going to be a tear at the beginning of the season and they will probably manage his snaps quite a bit the first half of the year, is a guy that's won two Super Bowls, has been there, knows how to make big plays, and they now have a guy like that on their team as well. So I just think that that is a group combined with the talent and with the way that Vance Joseph, you know, ske- is going to scheme them up and use them in different fronts, bring other guys, um, you know, in, in unique blitz packages. I just think they have more ways to get after the quarterback than they did a year ago. But the the bottom line hope is that the answer is going to be better play at quarterback. I, I think we've seen encouraging things from what Russell Wilson in training camp. I do, but there's just not enough of a sample size to really know until we get into that week one, just how much um, he's healed from, from what was just a mentally and physically damaging year to him in 2022. That, that is the most fascinating aspect of a game that we have. that's now only nine days away. I'm, I'm with you on the, the defensive front. I think, they're in the past or there aren't really many defensive coordinators who blitz more than Vance Joseph. And then you also added a guy I've been singing the praises of Zach Allen all, all off season. That's a dude who can be disruptive both in the run game and the pass game, the number of passes that he bats down 
on a week to week basis is, is through the roof. Learned a lot from JJ Watt. Um, I think that's going to do it for all our questions for the week though, Nick. Um, all right. Well, we really appreciated the, the engagement. Um, so excited to have you guys um, participating with us in this podcast. It's been awesome to hear. And we will be back next week with two episodes. We'll be back midweek to sort of really dig into and break down this game against the Raiders. And then we will be, we'll be with you right after the game um, to, to break down the very first, yeah, the very first matchup of the Sean Payton area era after it's all over. Uh, can't wait to get to that. Until next time, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening.